Welcome, everyone, to a brief episode in which we will seek to honour the life of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Today, the Union flag above Buckingham Palace flies at half-mast because our Queen is dead. She passed away peacefully at her family estate in Balmoral, Scotland, yesterday afternoon. She was 96. The former Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, said, This is our country's saddest day. We grieve for Elizabeth the Great the longest-serving and, in many ways, the finest monarch in our history. I don't think I'm alone, Jim, in thinking the Queen's death is a momentous event in our nation's history. Andrew Neil put it well when he described the Queen as the rock when all around us was changing and in perplexing flux, a familiar, reassuring, permanent presence as the country's leaders, celebrities, friends and enemies came and went. She dealt with 15 Prime Ministers. Her first one was Winston Churchill. So just think of the tumultuous history that she lived through. World War II, social upheaval, economic hardship, the transition from empire to commonwealth. I think her death has caused us to experience a profound sense of loss and even unease. It's as if a strong mooring rope has snapped and the boat has started to drift. Just about every commentator has highlighted the Queen's sense of duty her commitment to public service. Back in 1947, while she was still Princess Elizabeth, she celebrated her 21st birthday. On that occasion, she famously said, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. She was true to her word, wasn't she? I remember thinking how frail she looked a couple of days ago when she carried out the ceremony which installed Liz Truss as Prime Minister. She served with a stoic sense of duty right to the very end. That final act of public duty happened just two days before her death. And it spoke volumes about the Queen's character. And in the end, Ollie, it is character that we honour. The world is full of talented people. Think of the skillful footballer or the gifted performer. But talent is nothing without character. Queen Elizabeth is honoured because of her quiet resilience her dignified and gracious way of dealing with people, even though she had reason to regard as enemies. No one in Northern Ireland will forget the moment when she shook hands with Martin McInnes, the former commander of the IRA. Now that was an act of grace that could only come from someone of good character. The Queen was criticised in the aftermath of Princess Diana's death for being too detached. It was said that she didn't show her emotions or allow her vulnerability to be exposed. Do you think that criticism was warranted? I don't think so. The detached, uh, stiff, upper-lipped House of Windsor wasn't being heartless. The Queen was just being her usual stoical self. She refused to bear her soul in public, unlike uh, the younger members of the royal household today who seem far too keen to expose their emotional struggles for all the world to see. The closest the Queen came to soul-bearing was that moment when she said, 1992 is not a year on which I shall look back with undoubted pleasure. In the words of one of my more sympathetic correspondents, it has turned out to be an annus horribilis. Now, perhaps I'm just showing my age, but that sort of dignified restraint seems much more admirable than the self-absorbed navel-gazing that is the default approach in the world of celebrity. Even Christians have to be careful that we don't honour those who wallow in their own vulnerability and brokenness. Honesty is good but so is resilience. 
You said earlier that in the Queen's death, it felt like a mooring rope had snapped, and now the nation is in danger of drifting. One of the people who gathered outside Buckingham Palace yesterday made a similar point. He said, I feel like she was the one constant thing we had through all the crazy things we've been through. And then he added, scary times ahead. Are we making too much of this moment, Jim, or has something genuinely substantial been lost? Quite a number of commentators have said that the Queen embodied what we might call the noble values of the nation. Perhaps the best analysis I've come across uh, was from the journalist Tom Slater. And that's quite surprising because Slater himself is a Republican. He has campaigned for years to abolish the monarchy. But he's written a really gracious and thoughtful piece. I want to quote a couple of sentences from it. He's talking here about the Queen's ability to unify the nation, to give it a sense of coherence. And he says, she did that in spite of the increasingly fragmented identitarian tenor of our times, in which our elites have dispensed with patriotism and encourage us to silo ourselves in ever smaller identity groups. For many people, the Queen seemed to sit above not just a political fray, but also the incessant cultural churn of recent decades in which long-held values have been demonized and cast out. And he's making a really interesting point there. The politics of identity, by its very nature, causes a society to fragment into small groups. So the basic concept of a nation eventually becomes threatened. Yes, the progressive left has that old Marxist hatred of patriotism. To be patriotic is to be a xenophobic nationalist in woke circles. But surely a nation can be a helpful construct to bring together a sense of belonging uh, to build a shared narrative that weaves that invisible fabric that we call social cohesion. The Queen represented our nation's history, and that sense of history binds us together. But we live in a culture that sees history as a series of shameful events, a story of oppression and colonial wickedness. History is now seen as something to be ashamed of. But after we've torn down all the statues and defaced all the portraits of Churchill, we're left wondering, well, what exactly does bind us? Does a nation reduce to a random collection of people who just happen to share the same location? During the Second World War, the Queen worked as a mechanic in the army. And when she got married to Philip, she had to use the same ration cards to buy her dress as everyone else. So she was a link to that great generation that defied Hitler's fascists even when we had to stand alone in the darkest days of 1940. I feel proud to be part of a nation like that. But what happens when school kids are taught to despise their own history? We're seeing yet another attempt by Marxists to obliterate the past. We're not in the year of our Lord 2022. This is their year zero. The French tried to turn 1792 into year zero. Pol Pot tried the same thing in Cambodia. And the neo-Marxists now who dominate our cultural institutions are trying to demolish history, to build a new utopia based on the ideologies of the left. So that's a good way to understand the impact of the Queen's death on our society. The ancient voice of history has been cut down, and all we can hear now is the shrill yelping of postmodernity. One of the most significant aspects of the Queen's life was her Christian faith. Particularly in the past two decades of her life, the Queen often spoke of her personal faith in Jesus Christ. Let's just listen to her speak now on that subject. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness 
or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important there they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. That's such a powerful quote. She may have been queen, but she knew that she needed a saviour. In 2014, during a Christmas address, she said, For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life. That's a great phrase, I think. Christ as an anchor in my life. Queen Elizabeth forged an unlikely friendship with the evangelist Billy Graham. She insisted that he preach to her and have lunch together whenever he was in the UK. She once said, To what greater inspiration and counsel can we turn than to the imperishable truth to be found in this treasure house, the Bible? I think Billy Graham would have said amen to that sentiment. Her faith wasn't an academic thing or a sort of cultural tradition. C.S. Lewis wrote an article on her coronation and he noted that Elizabeth was in awe at the sacred dimension to the ceremony. And then in 2002, she said this. I know just how much I rely on my own faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day brings, and to put my trust in God. I smiled when I heard that the Queen's favourite hymn was Praise my soul, the King of Heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. She may have been a queen, but she bowed down to the King of Kings, and today she is in that King's very presence. She has gone home to her eternal reward. So we honour the memory of a noble woman, perhaps the last Christian monarch in our nation's history. As Paddington Bear said to her in that famous sketch she performed for her Platinum Jubilee, Thank you, ma'am, for everything.